Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 123. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm very excited to introduce a special guest, Scott Keller. Scott, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Got both hands and feet in the right, and I'm ready to go, Mark. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> yeah, please keep your hands in the vehicle at all times. <laughs> yeah. Scott Keller is the chief curator at America's Car Museum. He directs the museum's exhibitory and ex- exhibitions, but his career in the automotive industry spans over three decades. He's worked at BMW, Callaway Engineering, Fiat, Alfa Romeo, and Audi in advertising, merchandising, communications, and strategic development. He worked for the Chrysler Corporation in Detroit and for General Motors as well, and he had direct responsibility for GM's heritage activities and co-founded the GM Heritage Center Museum in Detroit. Scott, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you, so would you take some time and share some more about your history, your career, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Yeah, thanks for again for having me on the show, Mark. I'm um, I've been very fortunate, um, though. When you say I've been in the business for three decades, I started when I was um, eight. <laughs> hey, that's a good age to start. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, I, I come from an automotive family, and um, I've always been around cars and love cars. Started in the business with a real passion for racing and high performance. That was my you know, my big motivator when I was younger. And then over the years, as I as I grew and went to different companies um, and experienced different things, I went from probably the smallest, if you want to call Alfa Romeo in North America, the smallest all the way to, to General Motors. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been a great ride, but always with cars in the focus. You did so many different things at so many different agencies, but let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now, because I've got some familiarity with uh, the LeMay Museum, America's Car Museum, being so close to where I live here in the Pacific Northwest. You've been involved with the museum for how long? I was first recruited, uh, met, introduced in the museum and recruited by David Madeira, our present CEO and president, in 2004 to join the board of directors. I was one of his first board members from outside of, of Washington. 
ultimately was a board member for quite some years, chaired the collection committee and so on. And as we got close to launching this thing, we were having so much fun that uh, David uh, inviggled me into uh, uh, resigning the board and coming on as a as, as a member of the staff. And I've been here ever since. Well, it's fantastic. And that's a long time, 10 years you've been there. And I've watched that entire process develop over time. And so you've been involved from probably the the days of when they were designing the museum and how they were going to put the whole collection together, what to do with Harold LeMay's cars, which ones to keep, which ones to let go. And so tell us a little bit about some of the fun that you have there at the museum, because you get to play in a big toy box, basically. Yeah, it's amazing how many people you run into, and I have run into over the years that kind of shake their head and say, how did you get a job like that? And yeah, there's some serious work to it. Of course. But being involved in this from the beginning and uh, being captivated by David's vision for literally reinventing an automobile museum and creating America's Car Museum has been both intellectually and, and, and quite fun around the cars is stimulating. It's just been a ton of fun enjoying watching this all come together. So what do you do at the museum there as the curator? Uh, chief curator, yes. Yeah, so tell our listeners a little bit, what does a chief curator do at a museum of that size? Well, um, you know, size, Mark, is, as you pointed out, is, is really uh, uh, kind of an important notion because this place is, um, you've been here, it's, it's, it's huge. I mean, yes. we've got, uh, at any given time, um, you know, 10 plus uh, active exhibits going on hundreds of cars in the museum. It's a lot of work. Specifically, my job is to envision the future exhibits and go down the path of putting those together, uh, framing those, and, and ultimately executing new exhibits. So it's, um, it's a lot going on. Each exhibit takes a, a year or more in the, you know, in the you know, con- conceiving and, and ultimate execution. Uh, so, yeah, specifically the one responsible for coming up with what the guests get to see. Well, and it's always changing, too. So tell me right now at the museum, what are some of the exhibits that you have on display? Yeah, the changing part of it is is very important, Mark, as you know, we've, we've talked about this over the years. And, and it really stems from the idea that this is not just a car museum for enthusiasts or car experts, but people who haven't experienced some sort of connection or interest in the automobile. And for that reason, we've got a great cross-section of exhibits here, things you would expect, like we've got a um, classic coach built and uh, custom coach and, and um, classic uh, exhibit here using the, the strict definition of a classic car, all the way to the uh, history of NASCAR. Uh, and if you know the sport or don't know the sport, I guarantee you you're going to have fun there. And we also... Um, are quite heavy in education. We're a 501c3, so education is at the core of our of our mission. So when you come to the museum, you're going to see an exhibit uh, called Alternative Propulsion, where we talk about the technologies and fuels and history of the powertrains that uh, everybody's paying attention to with the uh, focus on green cars. So from British Invasion to classic cars, NASCAR to um, Alternative Propulsion, and even uh, a great new one on Route 66. There's there's a lot to see, and it covers a lot of ground. Well, it's a fun place to go, and that's what you're talking about is exactly right. It changes all the time. So if you visit a museum one year, say you're from out of town, and you come back the next year, you definitely want to go again because there's something new there to see. And you guys also have a Concours event each year. Yeah, we do. Now had uh, what used to be called the Kirkland Concours d'Elegance, which is more than 10 years old. Museum was involved in it from, I think, year two. 
And then um, three years ago, we elected to take that over with the blessing of the founders and have been holding that here right in Tacoma on our um, three and a half acre show field. And it's a, a really standout, well-done Concord Elegance. The legacy of its founders is, is being evolved here, focusing on the quality, quality of judging, quality of cars, and so on. Um, I was um, privileged to be involved with it for some time and was the chair for the first two years it was here. And it's, um, it's a must-see event. It is a great event. And the cars that are at that event, because I've been to all of them, are cars that are at Pebble Beach level. In fact, there's many cars that have been on the lawn at Pebble Beach that are at your Concorde. And it's changed from the Kirkland Concorde. Is it the Pacific Northwest Concorde? Is that the correct name? Yeah, this last year, we um, decided to evolve to the Pacific Northwest Concorde Elegance, which is in the spirit of what uh, the founders had in mind is, is a, you know, is, is the best uh, possible regional uh, Concorde at the time. And we thought it was time for a change, name change. We're no longer located in Kirkland. It was creating some confusion, but it was a great brand with a great reputation uh, that's continuing to grow under Pacific Northwest Concord Elegance. Oh, it's a great event. And a little later in the show, we'll let our listeners know how they can find out about that event and more about the museum. But for right now, as we continue on your journey, Scott, I always like to start with a success quote. And this is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your success in your life. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars yeah so scott take the wheel yeah i've um, i've been very fortunate to uh work for work directly around some really inspired people this particular quote that i i love is not one of those guys uh without deviation from the norm progress is not possible it's a frank zappa quote (laughs) but it it really speaks to something i learned at an early age from my father who was uh, a racer uh, had a very successful racing team was ultimately a, a promoter and this idea of reinvention and going left when everybody goes right and and breaking uh through the norms is is a way of looking at uh at business and my success was really instilled in me at a young age. So Frank Zappa, without deviation from the norm, progress is not possible. <laughs> well, I love that. And, you know, it, it comes from a very interesting character as well, of course, with Frank Zappa and the success he's had in the music industry. But how have you incorporated that success quote into your life and your business and your passion for cars? Yeah, that's an excellent question because it really uh, is tied to if you will, a left brain quote, which is is all about uh, chance favors prepared mind, which is Louis Pasteur. So, you know, I think it's a combination of of reinventing, rethinking, challenging the norms on one hand, and having a serious focus on discipline and planning and the the structure that you need to succeed. So, I've tried very hard through the years to to think both as a uh, a creative soul with the idea of reinvention and, and continuous progress, but also being um, a uh, champion of my function, you know, an expert, if you will. Sure. Well, especially with what you're having to do there is coming up with new exhibit ideas and how to recreate the museum all the time, which it has got to be a challenge, but it also has to be great fun. So, Yeah, it certainly is, because the basic notion of this museum or what uh, – the board and, and David Madeira realized years before I got involved was the traditional car museum is, is a difficult model. 
because it's so vertical. There's so very few people that are car experts. So how do you turn that on its head and create an experience for for people of, of all different backgrounds and level of understanding and, and age and cultural uh, context? So I think this idea of reinventing the automobile is, is one of the reasons our automobile museum is one of the reasons why I was so um, captivated with the vision for the museum and got involved. Yeah, well, great job there. And I'll remind our listeners that David Madeira is also a guest here on Cars, yeah. So you can go back in the archives and listen to David's thoughts about the museum and his involvement in it as well. Would yeah. you share with me a story that instigated your passion for cars? You talked about going all the way back three decades to around eight years old, but could you do you remember a pivotal moment when you really knew you were a car guy? Well, you know, that, um, that that's an interesting one. I guess it was a little bit of an easy slide for me because I grew up in a car family. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was in the automobile business, my, my father, my uncles, my cousins. So I don't really remember a time that cars weren't part of it. But probably what anchored it in my head when I was, I was quite young, realistically around eight years old, I took my first trip to to Detroit and saw the Motor City up close. And my grandfather, who was the... Uh, uh, successor to Walter P. Chrysler and president and chairman of Chrysler Corporation was still alive. And being there with him at a young age and seeing Detroit kind of through that lens is my earliest memories of saying, boy, this is this is cool. I want to I want to be a car guy. Sure. Well, very fortunate to be in Detroit in that era because it was really that golden time period when things were really quite special. So that's fantastic. Scott, what I'd like to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and and maybe get our hands a little dirty and have you share with me a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your career. But the most important part about this is how you overcame that situation and, and what you learned from it. Oh, well, I can think of so many. Of course, the person doesn't like to jump up and say, I remember the failures, but like like anybody, there's been some. But the big challenge is, you know, when I read this question, the first thing that popped into my head was uh, a program that I was involved in in General Motors. I was responsible for motorsports communications, Mm -hmm. and um, the company is returning to Le Mans for the first time in years with both a Cadillac effort and and a Corvette effort. And the then head of Cadillac and in the brand were really moving toward this whole idea of what people are saying today was the connected car. And that evolved into a vision to literally wire our cars to the Internet and, and create this, this dynamic digital experience while we were racing the cars at Le Mans. Seems, you know, like a normal notion today, but that was in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the connected car and experiencing Le Mans as close as you could get to it from the comfort of your your desk and your computer was pretty forward thinking. Very proud of, of the idea. And we worked very hard. We, we did, in fact, execute that by wiring both our Cadillacs and, uh, and a couple of our Corvettes to the, uh, to the Internet live streaming. Challenge being is that I got a hell of a lesson on international um, intellectual rights, <laughs> oh. the whole idea of, of beaming, you know, from a car up to a satellite and, and bandwidth and so on. And uh, quite frankly, technology was a little bit different to 2000 than it is today in 2014 going into 15. So it was a, 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 an exhilarating program to be part of. I was very proud of the idea in, in the fact we, we in fact did it. But also in retrospect, I think that uh, it was awful ambitious, and um, 
It really anchored in my head moving forward, the idea of keeping the vision and pushing, but uh, always having an eye on uh, what can be executed. Sure. Well, so the problem with that or the challenge with that became the the amount of data that had to stream through. There was no pipeline that could carry all that? Oh, yeah. I think that the challenges were all over the place from people's ability to, to be able to consume the media to uh, the challenge of, of streaming the data. And by the way, it was it was uh, real telemetry coming um, straight uh, off the cars. Mm-hmm. It wasn't anything composed. So I think it was just everything in its infancy. And now if you were to go on to Watch what's uh, what's available in motorsports now is that it's so sophisticated and, and, and so much more enjoyable. But it was just early days in terms of, you know, the technology, the bandwidth, the uh, the ability for people to consume it. But um, great program, a lot of fun, really inspiring. Unfortunately, a little bit ahead of its time. Sure, sure. Yeah, what you can see now when you watch a race is absolutely phenomenal. Watching the F1 race last week, not only the telemetry coming off the cars, but you could actually see the heat transfer across the tires as it would go around corners that were exposed onto the actual visual of the car. I mean, it was just... Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I remember back in the Cadillac program in 2000 is that uh, uh, we had a uh, night camera, a night vision camera in that case, loaded in the nose of the car, and we're, we're streaming that, and uh, G's in the seat, um, and, and so on. So a number of those things were there but like you said, it's it's an art form now, and it's real really additive to um, a motorsports experience. Yeah, it is. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. And I'd love for you to share a story when you had a real aha moment about your business, your career, a time when you realized that an idea that you had was really going to be successful and make it. And what were the steps that you took to turn that aha moment into a success? Yeah, the aha moment is uh, not something I can describe as is, is a day when you wake up and you get an epiphany or you have a conversation with a with a with a leader or somebody that inspires you but one of the things that comes to mind is the is the ultimate formation of the uh, GM Heritage Center which is General Motors private uh, heritage museum many people maybe even yourselves have, uh, uh, maybe yourself has gone there um, in uh, just outside of Detroit city uh, but it was this idea the heritage and great uh, uh, legacy of, of design and technology and the brands of GM and realizing when I was there that the the museums and the passion and kind of telling of those stories was scattered all literally not only throughout the state but in some cases out of the state and leading the charge with some some great colleagues to, to kind of pull that all together and have the sum of its parts be better than you know than any any one of the the brands in and of themselves, and that was that was great. But the inspiration came from listening and and, and learning from brand experts and people who are passionate about the her- history and their products and design. And uh, had a great uh, uh, partner who was an executive director at design, then working for Wayne Cherry, the head of design. And it all came together to be not only an aha moment, but the creation of something with a small group of people that was. Um, Truly fun to do and, and still professionally fulfilling. Oh, sounds fantastic. And maybe you just answered my next question, but how about your proudest moment in your career? Was there one that stands out? I'm sure you've had many, but is there one that really stands out for you? Yeah, you know, there's a ton. There's a ton of moments. Um, it could be, you know, standing on the podium with the, with the crew at, at Le Mans, or I once uh, was privileged to, to win a uh, 
uh, an employee work called the Chairman's Honors at, when I was a GM. The Heritage Center, I think, uh, stands out in my mind is, is something that I'm most proud of because it's, it's appreciated and it continues to live on. A lot of my private successes came from awards that we won or, or accolades the company got for programs I was involved in both at Chrysler and General Motors. But, uh, yeah, it really does come down to a handful of things with the Heritage Center probably being one of them. Fantastic. All right, let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? Is there one car that stands out that you've had that just really brings back some great memories? And maybe you could share one of those memories with us. Yeah, there's there, there's a couple. As I mentioned, I grew up in a, an automobile family. And, and um, I think most of the listeners would appreciate that uh, even though it's, it's changed a bit back when I was younger, uh, departing out of, you know, sort of the brand lines. If you came from a Chrysler family, you didn't drive off. Ford necessarily, and or Chevrolet, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So, growing up in a in a Chrysler family, I can you can only imagine the uh, the dynamics at home when I came home with uh, an MGB GT that I'd save my money up to buy, and uh, when I was when I was still in high school, and and uh, I could still hear my father's head exploding. <laughs> it really did become uh, a you know a pivoted you know a pivotal moment, if you will with my dad and I, and he started getting interested in, in uh, what we called uh, foreign cars back mm-hmm. in those days. And ultimately, before he died, uh, I was able to help him into a 6 Series uh, BMW Coupe uh, that he loved uh, passionately. So, yeah, I, I think the one thing that stands out is this this great classic uh, small displacement uh, MGB GT. This car I'd still like to have um, if, uh, if, if I were buying another car. Probably only equal to an equally uh, kind of obscure, maybe more obscure car, which was uh, uh, which was an early 2002 BMW, which uh, I love madly also. Oh, sure. Well, how about seller's remorse? Is, is there a car that you've had that you let go that you really wish you could have back in your garage? Uh, yeah, there's there, there's some. Um, I have owned a lot of cars in my life, been in and driven and involved with uh, everything you can imagine. But the handful of cars that I've owned um, are pale compared to uh, most collectors. Um, but I'd have to say it was would probably be the uh, the 2002. It's just uh, a car that I had when I was in my 20s and still relevant and exciting to me today. Sold it to my sister after she got out of college uh, kind of grudgingly and um, doggone it, wish I still had the car. <laughs> well, we all have those stories, that's for sure. Is there a project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Yeah, th- there is. That's that's a great question. You know, um, one of the things uh, that's fun about being involved in the museum is the atmosphere here. One of, you know, going back to the theme of reinvention and growing and, and doing different things and the evolution of the uh, of the exhibits and, and, and guest experience, audience experience here since we've opened, which is, you know, about two and a half years ago now. And um, the evolution... Um, uh, further and further away from just vertical car exhibits to the car is part of, of, of American history. You really can't tell the story of America in the automobile over the last hundred years and not, you know, and, and separate them. Mm-hmm. So working on an exhibit, actually, it's been um, a great passion of mine for a couple of years, and it's on the arsenal of democracy uh, in the whole um preparedness, the gearing up for World War II and the automobile company's role in literally taking us from a, uh, a very weak uh, military and, and manufacturing base and war preparedness base 
admit the onslaught of uh, of uh, you know the Nazis and and the uh, uh, the fascists in that time, and seeing how the car companies really dropped what they were doing and and uh, helped the country uh, pivot. Uh, so we're doing an uh, exhibit on that. Um, it's something I've been working on for a couple of years, getting a lot of encouragement from some sharp, sharp people, and um, it'll be uh, it'll be a surprise, and I think a, a, a great exhibit for people to see. Oh, sounds fantastic! It really does. I can't wait for that. Now, here's a funny question for you, Scott. If you were a car, what kind of car would Scott be, and why? <laughs> the Scott I want to be or the... <laughs> no, I, I always like it when people answer honestly who you really are because it isn't so much about, yeah, I want to be an F1 car. Well, we all want to be an F1 car. Go real fast. Everyone loves us. We're real sleek. But we're not really like that as people. Most of us aren't. Maybe some of us are. And maybe you are. But if Scott was a car, what kind of car would he be? <laughs> Well, um, you know, that, that question actually catches me by surprise. Of course, I'd love to say I was a split-window Corvette, which is, <laughs> is, is one of my favorites. But um, I'm probably closer to uh, uh, a vehicle we're going to be featuring here in our NES exhibit, and that's the uh, Ford F-Series truck. Ah, okay. And, and the whole idea of, of uh, solid, um, always changing, something that people enjoy, probably not the shiniest thing in the parking lot but uh, i'm probably closer to a an f-series truck or maybe a vintage f-series truck than i am that uh the love split window corvette yeah no that's great i love the answer for that no a workhorse loved by all always steady always dependable so i think that's a great answer perfect all right scott we're ending what i call the last lap and this is where i'm going to fire off a series of questions and you give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers so are you ready Wema. okay here we go what's the best automotive advice you've ever received oh i i, I think it came from um my my leaders at, at chrysler when they talked about the balance of uh of uh, things gone right and things gone wrong, quality and emotional connection. So it's a little bit of a, a different answer than one piece of advice, but it's the connection of uh, the people have a car both emotionally and rationally. Great. Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Yeah, I'm a ravenous reader. And the idea of, of, of continuing to to study the industry and uh, in all of its uh, all of its uh, implications over uh, on all its connections over the last hundred years. So my habit is I have a voracious appetite for understanding the automobile as it as it pertains to American history. I love it and uh, it inspires me uh, every day. Fantastic. Do you have a resource that you could share with the Cars Yeah listeners that you're really fond of? Maybe it's a website or a blog that you get or. There's some industry sites that I think are are uh, very interesting, like Car Connection, uh, which really gives a, a good insight into the industry. Um, I'm an avid uh, follower of um, Automotive News and in their website, but uh, you know I find my way into uh, the enthusiast sites too. So it's eclectic, uh, but it all comes around this uh, love for automobiles. Sure. How about books? You mentioned you love to read, so this may be hard for you, but if you could pick one great book to share with our listeners, what would that be? Well, in, in terms of an automotive book, um, you know, ask me tomorrow and I'll have a, I'll have a different answer. <laughs> um, 
my appetite falls into kind of two areas, and and one is um, is books on photography and design, just to being able to love the love the uh, the designs um, that that people come up with. So, you know, I, I'm attracted to motorsports photographers like. Jesse Alexander, mm-hmm. uh, and, and certainly uh, the famous Michael Furman yep. uh, in his photo books. But also it's the books um, on, on automotive history. You know, there's uh, uh, a book I just finished called On the Arsenal of Democracy by a, a writer named A.J. Bain, and, uh, B-A-I-M-E, and he did a, a really uh, kind of fun read on uh, called Gold Like Hill, Ford, Ferrari, and their battle for the speed and Oh, uh, yes, yes. Yeah. And so I have a lot of favorite authors. You know, in this case, the last last couple that I finished were AJ's books, and and I could recommend them highly. Fantastic! And you know, both Jesse Alexander and Michael Furman have been guests here on Cars. Yeah, so I remind our listeners if you'd love to listen to some wonderful interviews with two great photographers, go back in our archives, and you can find both those gentlemen. You can find links to all these great resources that Scott has shared with us today at CarsYeah.com/slash Scott. Keller and Scott spells his name S C O T one T K E L L E R. All right, Scott, we're up to the last question. This is the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy for some people, especially maybe for you because you're around so many great cars. If you could only have one car in your collection, one collector car, and this is something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, but money's no object. Today, I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like. What would that one car be? And why? That's an easy question for me. It's a car that's eluded me uh, my entire life. I've come close to buying one many times since uh, I first saw them in the 70s. It's a, it's a, a Ferrari Dino. Oh, um, yes. You know, a car that uh, is still is, is, uh, piques my curiosity and emotions um, today uh, like it did when I saw my first one back in the 70s. So, so the 246, would it be a GTS or would it be a coupe? Uh, interestingly, a coupe. Um, I know the... Uh, I know the S's uh, garner more money and enthusiasm, but the cleanliness um, uh, of the design, the surfaces, just the overall stance of, of the uh, car, you know, unmolested with, with uh, a top is, does it for me. You know, I agree with you. That is uh, one of my favorite cars as well. And back when I was a kid detailing cars, I had a client with one and I was lucky enough that he would let me pick it up at his house and drive it back to my house. And uh, the memories of driving that car. And the beautiful lines, and it too is a coupe, and I, I'm right with you. I would rather have a coupe than the GTS. It's kind of like the Porsche 911. I like the coupe better than the Targa. Yeah, and I uh, and I like the early 911s. Um, you know, it's funny, you were talking about detailing and, and so on. Just the early 911, which I've had the pleasure to wash, but a, a, a Dino, no. But the idea of getting to know the car with a soft rag and soap in your hands um, and a chamois, um, Boy, that'd be a great way to experience that automobile. It is. It's a very sensual experience if you can have one with a car, which I think only us car people can understand. (laughs) Fantastic, fantastic. Well, great choice. They're wonderful cars. I hope one of those ends up in your garage someday. Unfortunately, they've become just astronomical in price. Just way, way expensive. But uh, boy. There's been a couple of times over the years where the price and my ability were – we're in the same place, but uh, now with the increase in the price, it's not possible. You can do like I do with my favorite cars. You buy a really cool model and put it on your desk so you can look at it every day. Yeah. <laughs> the way to go. Well, yeah. Well, Scott, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule 
to share with the Cars Yow listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Ferrari Dino? Yeah, it's the whole idea of getting to know the automobile if you're if you're not a car enthusiast. And, and of course, a shameless plug for coming to our museum and, and really seeing what, what we'd like you to think is, is a completely different uh, a way of engaging with automobiles. So come see us at the museum, and for goodness sakes, um, uh, send me a note and and uh, tell me you're coming. Yeah, and what's the best way for our listeners to find out more about the museum? LeMayMuseum.org. Everything you want is there. And you guys have a Facebook page too, right? We do. Very okay. active one and a lot to learn, a lot to see, and a newsletter too. Not really plugging the museum you know, very specifically except to say there's a lot going on here. I think uh, if you like cars or you're curious about cars and history, this is a place you got to come to. And I'll let listeners know also there's another great way to support the museum. You can actually join the museum and you can donate to the museum to help them out. So there's all different ways you can be involved aside from just visiting. So take a visit to the museum website. Check it out. The Facebook page is really fun. You guys do some fun things and posts. And, of course, if you're out here in September, go to the Concord event because it's really worthwhile. Indeed. Well, listeners, you can find links, again, to everything that Scott has shared with us today at carsyad.com slash Scott Keller. Thank you, Scott, for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.